Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you to Spruce Grove Community Church. But why don't we just take a minute right now and just either extend your hands up or just hold them out. Let's invite the Holy Spirit. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this room this morning. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, right now, we just lay down all of our thoughts, all of the things that have taken place this week, and we want to give our full attention to you. And so, Holy Spirit, come into our hearts, come into this building today, minister in this house, we pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Well, as we continue to worship this morning, we are, we are looking for an experience with God. If you're here today and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you know, the, the Bible talks about us seeking God and looking for him, but what the Christian has over the non-Christian is that we are coming into what was previously unknown. And I may talk about that this morning, but there, there's a mystery of God that once you know what it is, is no longer a mystery. What if the whole of our journey was a, a continuous discovery of what is hidden and what is mysterious? That's what this morning is about. We are leaning into God because not only will he meet every one of our needs, but the secrets of the universe and the secrets of an invisible kingdom are actually available to us. He's just looking for somebody who's pining, who's longing to enter into it. So if you're new to Spruce Grove Community Church, we're worshiping God. We're not just singing songs, but we're saying, God, show me. What the things I don't know. Reveal to me what is hidden. This is my lot. This is my destiny. This is the privilege that you've given as sons of daughters of God. So this morning, enjoy God, lean into him, and be prepared to discover more. Amen? Amen. All right, let's worship him. I want us to think of something. This song, there's powerful words here. But you know what? There's two postures we could take with this. And one is, I'm really hoping, God, you'll do this. And the other one is, no, I know you're going to do this. And so there is, I give you my heart. You know, I'm, I'm throwing, you know, Hail Marys up to the air. Or there's, no, I'm giving you, I'm entering into something. I'm resigning myself. I'm stepping into this. This is, I'm, go, I'm honoring you. I worship you with all my heart. There's a, there's a posture that's leaning back saying, God, you come to me. And there's a posture that's leaning forward and says, I am coming. I am laying it down. I need you. And, and you can choose which one you want to be a part of. But I believe that forward leaning, the one that's active, the one that initiates is the one that opens the kingdom of God for us and for others around us. So let's, as we sing this again, let's take that leaning forward tone. Can, can we do that? Because God, God is looking for a people who are drawing near to him so he can draw near to you. We're not hoping he comes. We are, we are after him. We are pursuing. We are leaning into. God, I must have you today. Let's do that again. As a young Christian years ago, I remember that phase when I was, I was so ignorant of how things worked. And I was so passionate for God. And I was coming before him and I was vowing everything. But there, there came this time when, and I didn't realize it, but I, I was emboldened by my perception of my performance. And I thought, you know, I'm doing so good. I'm praying regularly. I'm, I'm, I'm obeying God in all these ways. And that emboldened my pursuit. And then God decided to deal with my pride. And suddenly I began to fail in every conceivable area. And you know what happened is my pursuit stopped. And uh, in that phase, one of the things he was trying to show me, he says, your pursuit of me was not born of faith, but of self-confidence, of, of a confidence in your own righteousness. He said, I'm not telling you to stop pursuing me, but now that you know that you're not all that, can you still pursue me? And I feel like there's so many in the body of Christ that, that you know, we've, we've broken past that idealism that we're these amazing Christians and, and we're going to we're going to win the world because we're so zealous and no other generation has run as hard as we've run. And we realize that maybe we're not all that. But God is saying, okay, now, 
now pursue me with that same kind of passion in the face of what you really are, and then it's going to mean a whole lot more. Because the only, the only thing that you can do this by is with grace, with a, the blood of Jesus as your confidence. So we're saying today, God, we, we're saying we give you our hearts. Lord, we are aware that, God, we have failed in so many ways, but we are pressing past, Lord, our limitations. We are pressing past what we are not, and we're saying, God, change us. Change us. We're not coming to you today because we got it all together. We're saying, God, we just need you. We just want you. So, Lord, for everyone that's in that place, Lord, I say in the name of Jesus that the chains be cut right now. All of the uh, all of the condemnation, all the shame, all of the sense that, yeah, you better not reach past. You better not think you're that because only the great ones deserve that grace that you are leaning into. Only the perfect ones deserve what you were asking for. No, no. Father, in Jesus' name, if you're in that place right now, just just say, God, I, I'm, I'm coming. I don't care. I don't care what's wrong with me. I don't care how I've failed. I'm coming. I long to be in your presence. This is where I long to be. This is where I, I'm designed to be. I'm going to look on your face. We're drawn near today. God, we're drawing near. We're drawing near. We're breaking past. We're breaking past the barriers and the boundaries. That shame has drawn for us. Those lines in the sand, the enemy has drawn for us. We're breaking past them today. You know, as I was singing just these last few lines and just really asking the Lord to show me his glory, it's funny how he works, just gave me this glimpse all the way back to Bible college. And I remember being in Northwest Bible College probably about 23, 24 years ago. And I remember sitting near the back of the, the, the church, and I just remember looking over to my left, and it was one of the first times that I seen this lady standing on the left side in this black dress. And I looked over at this black dress, and then I saw the face of the person wearing it, and there was just something about her. I couldn't take my eyes off her. It's true. Something inside of me that day shifted. Something inside of me said, I'm going to pursue this one. I am going to pursue this one, and nothing's going to stop me. Something in me shifted in that moment. And I can honestly say to you, the pursuit was on. Now, here we are 20-some years ago. You can see how the pursuit went, right? You know, I accomplished my goal. But let me tell you something. I remember the feeling of the pursuit, that pursuit that nothing in this moment is going to stop me. And this morning, the Lord reminded me, do you remember the feeling of the pursuit? That nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop you. And again, this is where the Lord wants us to come back to. The pursuit of the Father. Do you remember your first love when you first found Him? That pursuit again. This is my Father. This is my Father. I will pursue Him with everything in me. And let me say this. If you're struggling with that right now, then change it. You got to change it. There's no hidden formula. It's not all of a sudden in two weeks, you know, boom, all of a sudden you're going to shift. You've got to choose it. And you can choose that right now. I am doing this marriage counseling course right now. And um, the research shows that there is a predictor of those couples that will end up divorced. And the predictor is when one of the members of that partnership makes a bid towards the other person. So whether they say, oh, it's a beautiful day out today, or, uh, oh, this sandwich tastes good, or, oh, I love your shirt, or, uh, man, I'm tired today. And that other person doesn't respond to that bid and lean into that person, what happens is it creates a distance every time. So every time we make a bid towards our partner, we want to create closeness by responding to that bid. 
by turning our faces towards them and responding to what they've just said and entering into the conversation. Well, the root word for worship is to kiss towards. Worship means to kiss towards. And today, we're making a bid towards God. We're moving towards Him. And we're saying, we're going to close the distance here. And we're going to come close to you. And there's not going to be any gap between us where the enemy can come and lie to us about what you say about us. We're closing the gap so that your presence can encounter us. We're kissing towards so that we can create an atmosphere of intimacy. And the beauty of this is that in human relationship, sometimes we reject bids towards one another. Sometimes we don't do it very well. But what's beautiful about God, when we kiss towards him, he responds every single time. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you have in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of brokenness you're in. It doesn't matter how crappy you are at your job. It doesn't matter how bad you are doing life. It doesn't matter if this is the first time you have kissed towards him in 25 years. He leans in and closes the gap and he fills that space with his presence and his glory and intimacy and his love his grace his mercy his truth and that's what we're doing we're kissing towards him we're closing in the gap and we're standing in the presence of this glorious space and we're taking it all in we're taking in the beauty of god we're drinking of his beauty We're engaging in his glory. We're tasting and seeing that he's good. He's speaking truth into our minds and he's healing our bodies. He's aligning us. He's causing our feet to be on solid ground. He's grounding us. He's causing us to be sure of who he is. And that's what we're doing today in our worship. When we're pursuing something, you don't stop until you actually get it. That's just the way it goes. And so we are on a journey with the Lord. It's a constant pursuit. That's what it is. And we never stop every single day. And are there going to be obstacles? I think we all know the answer to that. But I know this. When I was going after her, I wasn't focused on the obstacles. I didn't care about that. And that has to get into our hearts. Get your hearts, your minds off the obstacles and onto him. Because he is the only one that changes everything. Amen? You know, we have a long history of being guided by fear. I don't want to take pot shots at any particular group, but, uh, you know, I mean, what, what was it that kept people landlocked to Europe? Was it uh, courage or was it fear? Well, don't go. If you, if you go out there, if you go in that direction, you may never come back. Right? And they assume you die. <laughs> if I went over there and I found a much better place, I didn't want to come back. You know, and so people left the continent and, and they would only go so far for fear that they were going to drop off the end of the earth. And people actually believe that. You know, the earth is flat and over there there's an edge and you want to stay as far away from that edge as possible because who knows what currents you're going to get to as you get close to it. It's like a massive waterfall. And you get in there and you don't know where it is. You know where it's touched. You're going to be sucked into the oblivion of that thing. So stay close to home. These kinds of things have limited us in the natural and in the spiritual. As you know, and I've shared this testimony before, but my mom gave me really good advice. My mom was one of those courageous ones. She was an explorer. She was one who just had this innate courage to be able to jump in in anything. Wherever she saw God, she just jumped in in with both feet. And she told me as a young Christian, she said, Mark, uh, people are going to always be warning you and cautioning you. Be careful of error. Be careful of this error. Be careful of that error. But you know what? You've been given the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. And you, are, you don't have enough intellectual capacity to know where the line of demarcation between truth and error stops. And if you, by fear, are going to try and keep yourself from that, you're going to be like Wendy. You're going to be on the, you know, the, the, you're going to limit yourself to the smallest portion of that sidewalk. But tell you what, the whole sidewalk has been given to you to walk on. And the whole sidewalk is essentially safe. You know, and if fear guides you, you're going to be forsaking a, a great bandwidth of truth in order to, you know, make sure you're 
safe. Safety first. No! <laughs> Not safety first. Adventure first. And part of, you know, this journey is the realization that God has more sustaining power than you could possibly know. I mean, this is a great thing about God. And I used this illustration before, but, you know, in the X-Men, Wolverine is, you know, a lot of people's favorite X-Men. And his ability is that whatever, you know, whatever wounds happen to his body, he heals immediately. You know, gunshot hits him right here. Or he falls off a big building and, you know, and he, it hurts, yeah, but he just, his body just heals. So because he can heal himself, he, he gets healed, he recovers, he's able to go into scenarios that others fear to tread, right? That should be the believers, right? We should, when you discover that God can fix what ails you, then you, you're not bothered by it. Well, you know, you could get hurt. Well, I can get healed. Well, you know, I've been in so many churches. I've been hurt by so many churches. Well, are you still hurt or are you healed? And if you're still hurt, get healed. Because the more often you get healed, the more you realize healing is available, which means you can risk it again. People sometimes ask me, well, you know, I, I tend to venture. I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. I tend to, to love people that others are, you know, I'm not sure if I should love that person. I'm not sure I should connect myself to that person because of this and this and this. And I say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I, if they hurt me, I can get healed. So I can invest myself in people that are untrustworthy. Well, and people come back, well, yeah, but wow, your discernment was really bad. No, love is naive because love gives people an opportunity. I'm not investing in people because I know they're going to succeed, right? I mean, that's, that's the politician's way. You know, well, I, I'll stand behind somebody so long as that person doesn't cost me anything. I don't want them to cost my reputation. I don't want them to, to, uh, to detract my momentum. Or, uh, well, if we run the kingdom of God that way, and, and many systems, many Christian systems, many, uh, many uh, streams of churches are run that way. Everybody's busy protecting their reputation. Father, I pray. Yeah, this is prophetic, but we are going to affect the political realm in this nation. We are going to affect the political realm in this nation. And to do that, we have to have this kind of courage. I was just making a post about somebody, and, and you know, I, I, I'm not American, so it doesn't matter, but I like Donald Trump. I, mean, I like him. Okay, and uh, I wrote this post, and people were complaining about him. I said, well, the problem is you're comparing him to Mother Teresa. Well, you should be comparing him to others who, who could, might have done the job worse. Not Mother Teresa, not the very best human being you know. Is he a man? Yes. Does he have problems? Yes. Is he perfect? No. It's not about that. See, politically, in that political world, the fear is you can't align with anybody. Everybody's hedging their bets. Everybody's trying to, you know, it's all about their reputation. So nobody's able to stand for anyone or anything in case they got egg on their face. Well, yeah, but this guy, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, we had a, anyway, I didn't mean to get into this. We had a, a premier a few, you know, a few terms ago that was a bit of an alcoholic. And uh, you know what? One, probably one of the best premiers we ever had. And now if Christian, well, you know, I heard he drinks too much. I can't vote for somebody who drinks too much. You're not voting for a pastor. So anyway, I didn't want to get into that. But the implications of this, there is a curse. Men and women who are always concerned about their safety, their reputation, will not have the courage to win the earth. And so God is trying to instill in us what's necessary, the courage, the faith, the capacity to be able to stand in these times. And it begins with faith. I mean, Father, I thank you, God, that you are creating men and women. I mean, let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, there was a couple, there was a apostolic church planners, and they were going to Vancouver to plant a church. They had grabbed this guy who was, who was a, a pastor in the area, but he was not the best pastor to lead their local church. I was concerned about the person they were choosing to lead because, uh, you know, he wasn't perfect. Well, he was more than not perfect. But anyway, uh, looking back, it probably wasn't the wisest decision to choose that guy for their flagship church in the, on the coast. But here's the thing. They, ha they didn't care. They didn't care what mistakes he had made in the past. 
They weren't judging him by his past history. They were simply giving him an opportunity to have a different future. The grace of God doesn't tie you and anchor you to your past. It just keeps giving you an opportunity for a different future. Now, love doesn't completely discount your history, but love always gives you an opportunity to go forward. Love gives you the chance to risk it on people that have failed. So, you know, the whole idea that we, we keep surrounding us ourselves in only the people who guarantee us success is not a Christian notion. It's, it, it, it's not what the kingdom of God is about. It means, it means the church is going to be filled like the Corinthian church with people who are misusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Corinthian church was a behind in no church in terms of the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God and the manifestation of His glory. But they were broken. You know, and, and you get these political type, you know, men and women who want to leave the church who sit back and say, you know, how is this going to reflect on my reputation if I associate with this church? That's not the paradigm that we're going to go by because, because advancing the kingdom of God is going to take risk. You have to take a risk on people. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to befriend people that might hurt us? Are we willing to invite people into our homes and walk with them who might betray us, who might not prove to be the best friends, who might, you know, what, what is this really about? Are we creating a safety zone for ourselves, or are we advancing the kingdom of God until it fills the earth as the waters cover the sea? Father, today I pray, I pray that you would give us uh, the humility, God, to move forward in what you're doing in the earth. Lord, in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes when we shift from worship to preaching, we sort of change caps. We change hats. We take off our spiritual mind and we put on our natural mind. I don't want us to do that, okay? How do you know something is true? How do you know whether what I'm saying is valid? By you comparing it with all the scriptures you know? Oh, that's normally what That's what the mind will do. What the spirit will do will look, look for a sound, the sound of life. Man, I, I feel like this kickback. I feel like, like that's not safe, you know, because in other words, I'm, I'm not in control of that. I want, I want a criteria that I'm in control of, you know, that, that's based on me. Yeah, that's gotten us really far. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own, don't lean on your own understanding. You know, your, your present understanding is not the appropriate ground to discern what's coming next. What you know right now can't guarantee that you're going to know what you don't know. In fact, leaning on that ensures you will stay with what you know. So, God in heaven, I pray today, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so bear with me, but I'm, I'm hitting something inside of us. I'm hitting certain uh, limiting factors in our lives that are rooted in pride rooted in self, rooted in uh, a limiting thing that the enemy uses to keep us from going forward. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, we want to go where no other generation has gone before us. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read just a couple of scriptures. Uh, They're very fundamental to our faith. Okay, so I'm going to go back all the way in... 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll start with verse 6. There's lots of nice stuff before that, but verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, none of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of glory. Okay, let me just pause for a second. We speak the hidden wisdom. Now, some people would like to say the hidden wisdom is just that Jesus would come. Okay. I want to present to you that there's more hidden wisdom than you could possibly imagine. There's more hidden wisdom than you could ever know in a lifetime. If you could read every book that has ever been written, you would not begin to scratch the surface of hidden wisdom. It is, by definition, hidden. It is mysterious. It's a mystery. You know what a mystery is? It's something you don't know. The gap, the line that separates you from mystery is knowledge. What you know ceases to be a mystery. But as soon as something is outside of the realm of your knowledge, it's a mystery. There are mysteries 
hundreds of thousands of ideas that are in the presence of God and in the heart of God. And he's saying, listen, lean into me. All the treasures of, of wisdom are hid in me. Paul wrote that in Timothy about Jesus. The, the hidden wisdom. And, he's, and when he's talking about these things, he's not talking as one who says, yeah, I have it. Paul never said, yeah, I have it. His whole disposition was always leaning into it. Not that I've attained, but I press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. So this journey is continuous, continuous. We always, for some reason, have this fear-based thing where, you know, if I could just get this much, enough to fit in the mix, then I'll be safe. If I just can know enough to be able to be in that church and in those people and not stand out as an ignorant person, that's a, that's a terrible uh, uh, limit that you want to set for yourself because you know what god is moving us into something else he's always moving it for us forward i mean look at technology right what you had what was groundbreaking and earth shattering a few years ago is (laughs) obsolete and funny remember those phones you used to have to carry those big honking things right the big gray ones i remember the motorola's the big motorola's i i wanted one so bad it's like, oh, that is so amazing. Look at that. You could walk everywhere and talk. This is so great. Who would want to go back to that? So safety, the line for safety and what's normal is always moving. It's always moving. Holy Spirit, we ask you to break off of us. God, that limiting thing. There's something in our lives. There's a warfare in your life that's always trying to bring containment to you. And uh, the containment uh, and the, uh, the warfare around your life is always trying to keep you. It can't, well, I can't keep you from getting saved. Well, I can keep you from being baptized in the Holy Spirit. If I can't keep you from being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to keep you from using it. I want to keep you from the gifts of the Spirit. I want to keep you from evangelizing and sharing your faith. I want to keep you from, from pouring out water and, uh, and, and releasing the kingdom of God. It's always about containment, limiting, and, limiting containment. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. You just put your hand on your head. God, break off of me the limiting containment of the enemy. God, I want what you have. I want to break past the limits. I want to break past the limits in Jesus' name. Well, here's the, the first part of the problem here is that we don't even know we have limits. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of the, this age... For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. None of them knew it. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. And again, I keep running into this in the church all the time. Well, yeah, but now we know. No, we don't. You know, we, we keep feeling this sense that, I, you know, there's one line, and as long as I can feel like I'm over it, then we're good. And God is saying, no, there isn't one line. There, there's millions of lines. So get past that one. Now get past that one. Now get past that one. Now get past that one. That's what he's doing in our lives. But there's something, there's this, ah, there's, the warfare is, I, the enemy doesn't want us to enter into the next thing, the next thing. And then some people are like, oh, Pastor Mark, you push us so much. I, can't we just enjoy what we have? No. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. Do you know who wanted to, to enjoy what they had? The Jews coming out of slavery. The Jews coming out of slavery. They're coming out of slavery, right? They come out of Egypt and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And it's like, this is great. We're free. Woo, we're free. And God said, yeah, okay, now come and war and take the land. Come and go pick up your swords and battle. But yeah, but we could die. Can we just enjoy what we got for a while? Like, come on, Moses. Quit pushing us. And God is saying, listen... And so that was always the battle. Whenever, well, we got to decide always with every step whether we want to risk the gains we have in order to make gains we're not sure we need. This is the church. This is the religious system. I don't, I'm not sure I want to risk my standing for something I'm not sure I need to get ahead. And what was God's response? He said, he said, "You're, you're drawing this line around self-preservation. You're free from slavery, and now you're going to live the rest of your life being sure that you maintain that state? That is now your orientation? And so when they refused to enter into the promised land because of fear and unbelief, 
right? God said, to the, God, God almost destroyed them, right? He was going to destroy them. Moses interceded. And what does God say after that? He says, he says listen, I'm not going to destroy them, but as surely as I live, the whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So he's, he's saying, listen, I, I came and I revealed myself to you and delivered you from here. And now my intention is as you go forward, I'm going to reveal more of myself in order to make your battle effective. And I'm going to keep revealing myself in successive grander ways. But what I'm battling against is the people that I would say, okay, this is enough. We could actually have a real life here. We could have a normal life. We could have a good life. And God is saying, it's not about you having a good life. It's about my glory. It's about the knowledge of me being poured out over the whole earth. Now, if you keep doing that, you will get the benefits of that knowledge of glory. But don't, this, this thing that, okay, now we have enough. It's not about you having enough. It's about me having enough. We sing that song, right? You will have it all. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. So we need to take the posture in our lives that you are worthy of it all. I am bought with a price. I am bought with a price. But whether we know it or not, we have all these lines that we're not sure we want to cross in our life. Courage, faith, vision, an apostolic uh, driving force that, that compels us to take the whole earth. That's the, that's the vision that God had. He was just looking. Why doesn't Israel understand what it is I've called them for? And then he comes to the church. He says, why, why is it you don't understand what I've called you for? There's more power. There's more mystery. There's more wisdom, more than you can possibly imagine. So I has not seen or Ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things. Well, somebody said, well, there you go. You know, uh, Paul had it all. That wasn't what he was saying, and I'll prove it to you in a second. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Except So no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of this world, but we have the spirit which is from God that we might know, that we might know. It's, it's an ongoing, future kind of a thing. It's unfolding, ever unfolding, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, here's where we're coming to. Let's pay very careful attention to this. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, write that down. Underscore that. Memorize that verse. But yet he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he who himself, he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of God, mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, if you read into the next verse, and I know some of you have been here a long time. You said, Pastor Mark, you've talked about this before. Well, here we are again. But he starts writing to the Corinthians. He said, I can't write to you as to spiritual because you're not very spiritual. But what are you talking about? We have the Spirit. We, we speak in tongues. We have the gifts of the Spirit. What are you talking about? He said, no, you, you are very natural in many ways. And the proof of it is your divisiveness. And, and he goes on to why say that. But what he was saying is, and this is what I want to point to, that that. Paul's saying there's a mystery that we're leaning into, and God has given us a spirit to bring into it, but I can't even talk to you about the things that I already know because you guys, not only do you not know them, you don't even have the capacity to enter into them. So what is he saying? There is a difference between one level of understanding and other levels of understanding. And just because you're born again doesn't mean we're all the same. There's more to be had. Well, how much more? Well, I remember as a young Christian... The fight against this was enormous. And the fight against this was often people of standing, people of stature, people who were in leadership roles. Because they had to discourage. And I remember this guy we were talking about, you know, he said, he said, these people are talking about the deep things of God. There are no deep things. Jesus is the deep thing. True, but in him is hidden all the mystery of knowledge and wisdom. But he said, no, no, just the idea of Jesus is the deep thing. And I think, you fool. Why, did, why would somebody say that? Because I, I, I want to make it sure that I'm always on top. I want to make sure that 
you think I'm always, there's nothing more than I know. What I know is all you really need as a Christian. So if you just get what I know, in other words, if somebody comes along who knows more than I know, I look foolish. But I got to be the chief here. I got to be the boss. I got to be the one that's on top of everything. So what do you think happened when Jesus came along and those guys who embodied that mindset? What happened? Let's kill him. Right? Because if he keeps going, we're losing our place here. You know, the, the people are, all the people are starting to follow him. It's because they're deceived. There's no mystery. There's nothing beyond what we know. We, we have Moses' law. And what did Jesus say? Yeah, you don't even understand that. And you don't even do that right either. And so he's confounding them. Why? Because they became entrenched. Their existence became about their own safety. Their existence became about their own place, their own security. And what he's saying is that, listen, there is a, there is a, a progression of knowledge and revelation in the kingdom of God that is, that'll, there's more you can, than you can possibly imagine. Do you have the humility to accept that that's the case? Now, in John 9, he says to those guys, those same guys, he says, he said, listen, uh, he was talking about blindness. And they said, we're not blind. He said, yeah. if you had actually, uh, because you say you're not blind, therefore your blindness is going to remain. But if you actually had been open to the possibility that there's things you don't see, that's, that's the window through which light will begin to come to your life. So as long as you stay in that place where you say, there's nothing to see here. There's nothing more to see. You're locked. You're stuck. Well, why do we stick to this? Why do we do that? Why? Because it's humiliating. It's humiliating, and we hate being humiliated. We hate looking less. Knowledge and understanding is like depth perception. And uh, if you've raised kids, it's kind of a funny thing. And uh, we've talked about this before. Depth perception is the capacity to see the world around you. And what you realize is as you uh, kids are maturing intellectually, their depth perception is increasing. So we talked about this with babies. Babies uh, have, have, uh, have no sense of the permanence of objects, right? So as soon as mom disappears from their depth perception, for all, you know, mom's gone. That's like the Europeans, you know, seeing those ships go across and go to the, you know, they say, it's out of our range... They've ceased to exist. They've fallen off the end of the earth. That's, there's nothing out there beyond what we know. And so we are born with that intuitively. As kids. That is an intellectual limitation of perception. But spiritually, it's the same thing. We, as, as little children, we have an inability to perceive beyond that. But worse yet, worse is we don't believe that anybody else has more depth perception than we do. Because it's an impossibility. It just can't happen. Oh, there's, there's no way you could know that. There's no way. You must be cheating because there's no way that somebody could that be that good at that thing. Why? Because what, how good I can be, I can admit there are people slightly better than me, but that no way. They're cheating. Right, it's a bad example, but, but uh, for, for the, if you ever watch poker being played, right? Poker being played, when you're playing against somebody that's really good, they have depth perception. They see people. They, and they understand uh, cues. They understand. They can tell you. It's amazing. You, if you ever watch these great pro poker people, I don't know if it's prophetic insight or if it's just human understanding, but they got, they're literally say, yeah, I think you had this. And it's like time and time again, the person had that. It's like, how could, they must be cheating. Or there's a way to derive information beyond what you know. To you, it's a mystery. To them, it's just obvious. See, for the Pharisees, they just couldn't believe there was anything beyond them. I, I'm telling you right now, what keeps the church locked down is a belief that nobody can have more than me. You know, you, we can't say that because that sounds so, you know, pompous and self-glorifying. But we actually believe it, and it's, it's, it's reflected in the incredulity that we, we, we release when we see something more than what we have. What? It can't happen. So what, how do we break past this? How do we break past this? It starts with humility. So, Lord, I pray that we could break past. Lord, break past, break past. God is looking to bring 
children of God into the fullness of the stature of Jesus. The fullness of the stature. The fullness of the stature. You know what that means? That means like Jesus. The fullness of the knowledge of the stature of Christ. I mean, uh, there, how can it, where, what does that look like? What is, it's, we don't know. We're not there yet. So that means there's more. So here's what I'm deciding every day. Do I play it safe or am I, am I going to be a student? Am I going to be a learner or am I going to be somebody who's topped out and now I'm just commander in chief? I'm just, I'm the teacher. I'm the this and that. And again, there's nothing wrong with calling somebody a teacher or be, people being mentors, but it's the attitude that where well, we stop, we stop moving. Let me keep reading here. It says, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but comparing the Holy, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. I feel there's this wrestling in us, and God is trying to break through, break through, break through, break through, break through. So, Father, even now, I, I'm, I'm leaning forward because in our lives, in our lives, there have been mentors and people, well-meaning people, who have put up roadblocks to your future. They are, were good Christians. They were moral people. They were good-hearted in the sense that they weren't trying to, to uh, limit you, but that's what they did. And we have been raised with constant spiritual limitations. And, and the warfare around the church has sort of suggested to us that, you know, just play it safe. Just stay with the basic things. Don't move forward because everything else beyond these things are just, they're dangerous. I remember when I first was graduating from Bible school and I decided not to get my credentials within the PAOC. And all my friends were like, well, wh where are you going to go? I mean, they were afraid for me. They were afraid for me, literally afraid for me, because there's, we don't know what's out there, but in here it's safe. And, of course, I had been out there. It's like, you know, somebody going across from Europe to North America and then coming back and trying to bring people with them and say, it's not safe. No, it, it is. There's land. There's people. And I have been in all many, so many different fellowships, so many different streams, so many different Pentecostals. And then when... I mean, back then, the big controversial thing was deliverance and inner healing. And the controversial thing was, was uh, singing in the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. And then the controversial thing, controversial thing was, was faith teaching. And, you know, uh, and, uh, and then the controversial thing was vineyard. I remember the vineyard came up. How many of you think the vineyard is like kooky, crazy, way out there, over-the-edge kind of demonic heresy? Anybody actually believe that here? No? I'll tell you what. In, in the mid-80s, when I told one of my friends, I said, I'm going to this conference with John Wimber. John Wimber? Yeah, yeah, have you heard of him? He said, yeah. I said, well, do you like him? So he doesn't serve the Jesus I serve. Well, who is this guy? What is he? he was a Pentecostal, typical person. Maybe not like you, but a typical <laughs> church person. What is that? What is that fear? What is that sense of, no, we must blacken the, you know, and... and, and uh, and, and make that unpalatable to everybody because what is it? Is, it? is it because we want people safe? Or, man, if they have more than we have, then they're going to leave our church and go to his. What it, which one is it? Well, it could be either, but it doesn't matter. The point is there's more. Last week, Derek kind of let out a little grunt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like for some people, I'm not around, I'm not around people like grunt. What's that about? What's the legitimacy of that? What purpose could that possibly... You know, the Bible says in Romans 8, it says that there is a, that you have a Spirit of God within you and that the Spirit of God inside of you groans. How many of you have heard the groaning of your spirit? How many of you have felt the convulsions of intercession on that level such that you cannot even speak words, but you must just groan? If you, if you haven't had that experience, then you're probably wondering if it's valid right? Not on the basis that it's not in the Word, but in the basis that you haven't experienced it. So we like to say, well, we're Word people. No, we're not. We are experienced people. 
What's legitimate is what we have experienced. Anything outside of our experience is somehow viewed with suspicion. It's illegitimate. Why? Because I haven't experienced it. And anybody, a lot of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you're, you weren't sure about it, and then you experience it. And they, oh, it is God. Well, it was God when it was just written in the Bible. It just, you weren't as sure about it. So there's a progression to what you're sure about. And here's my question. How much further can that sureness go? What is that progression meant to look like? And could we pull the stops off of our life? Can we pull the things out that, that keep us safe, that tell us, no, stay here, here, this far and no further? No, I must have more of God. I just want to be a part of the company that is a part of the next wave. And when I watch the history, even in the short time that I've been a Christian, I've watched this stagnation come upon different Christian groups. And I'm, and I'm keeping thinking, God, I don't want whatever, I, whatever's causing that, God set me free. And at first I decided, no, I will never be one of those people that stagnates. I, I was sure I wouldn't. Because why? Because I'm clearly more devoted to God than anybody else. I really believe that until God dealt with that pride. And I just, I've seen that thing, and I'm saying, God, I just want to want more. I just want to want more. And right now, I'm at a place where I have a fair amount of things. I mean, I'm accepted in a lot of circles. I get to travel around the world. I get invitations. I've been going to Europe twice in the next six weeks, right? So I have something from the Lord. It's very easy for me to say, well, I have enough, right? I have enough. If, if technology, spiritual technology, was not continually being unfolded, yes. But I don't want to be stand there with my little flip phone when everybody else has smartphones. I don't want to be standing there with my big gray Motorola when everybody else has flip phones, spiritually speaking. What is the next wave? And what is it that guarantees me a part of it? Faith and passion. Faith and passion, faith and passion, faith and passion, faith and passion. I want it, and I believe it can be found. These are the two prerequisites of getting what God is pouring out, faith and passion. He says, uh, and actually I'm releasing an article tomorrow morning on pursuit, and we talked about coming out of the worship all about pursuit. And the pursuit is this, like, like God, God is saying, listen, I want you to seek me until you find me. Well, I am saved. No, 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 there's more of me you don't know. I mean, who could admit that? Do you think, put up your hand if you think there's more of God that you don't know. All right, how much more? Uh, probably a lot. Okay, more that if you had life-changing revelations of God every single day of your life, you would not come to the end. So how many, how often do I have a life-changing revelation of God? Well, at first, right, it was every, every week or so, like every Sunday was a, ah, hallelujah. And then it was like once a month, and then it was like once every few months, and then it trickled down to, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I have a, you know, and it, I mean, most Christians are at the place today, and I'd say most, but a lot of Christians are at the place today where there are just no more life-changing moments. And what we, what we comfort ourselves with is the thought that there are no more to be had, that is the thief right there, that there are no more to be had. Well, you know, now it's just a matter of you turn around and giving it to others. Yes, but that, that, that diligence is the means for you to get more, actually. You give what you have, and then all of a sudden God starts to bring you into more, so long as the expectation is there that there is more. How deep does a rabbit hole go? So we need to believe that there's more. We need to believe that we don't have the intellectual ability to safely discern uh, what that more is. We need to renounce our fear and unbelief and those things in our life that have kept us anchored to what is proverbially safe. And we need to, we need to keep crying out, hungering and thirsting. You know, God said to, to Abraham, when Abraham discovered who he was, this is what God said to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I am your exceeding and great reward. What that means is this, is that, is that the pursuit of God in our life is always going to be rewarded by the knowledge of God. God is the reward of pursuit. But what do you have to do to pursue God more? You have to know that there's more to be found, and you have to want it. So, Father, today, by your Holy Spirit, may we come away convinced that there's more to be found 
And may you give us the great grace to hunger and thirst for it. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Uh, and again, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would give us a warring, vigilant disposition against that satisfaction of the status quo. The satisfaction of the status quo is our greatest enemy. You know, the Lord's just been been pushing me on this thing for actually a couple of years now because I think I have become complacent. You know, I read the Bible a lot. I love it. That's great. So, therefore, what? Therefore, nothing. Um, you know, these things are spiritually discerned. So, here's, here's a couple things he gave me just to, just, just to spark, okay? So, here's one. Peter and John, they're going into the temple. Guy laying there asking for alms. Peter says, hey, we don't have any money. What we have, we'll give you. And he pulls him to his feet. Now, this is a lame guy. He pulls him to his feet. If this doesn't work, this is not good. However, he knew it would work. This wasn't a problem. Why? Because he had that knowledge. He, had, he heard at that level where he could pull a lame man to his feet. At that level, he heard. Later, his shadow. Now, we're not talking about the sunlight shadow falling. We're talking about the atmosphere that he created around him of the kingdom. He would walk past sick people, and they would be healed. People would bring people so that his shadow might fall on them, and they would be healed. I've not heard of that happening when my shadow falls on anybody. Elijah could pray that God would shut the heavens for three years. And he did. No rain. Elijah could pray that it would rain after being shut for three years. And it did. I don't know. I don't know that I could pray for a storm. Enoch didn't even bother dying. How many of you are going to die? Enoch didn't bother. He just walked right with God. God decided, you know what? This guy has pursued me at the level that I'm going to let him catch me. Right here and now. So Enoch just walked with God. Didn't even have to die. And we think we've got it all? Oh my goodness. There's so much more. So much, so much more. We don't know. We don't know how much more there is. We don't know what we don't know. But I can tell you this. There's these tiny little examples given in the scriptures that should make us recognize that there's so much more and, and motivate us. Not get us down there sucking our thumbs going, well, I don't have that. Because that's not the point. Because the point is he walks us through each thing. He brings each one at the level that we want it. We can have it. Now, I feel like there are people in the room that say, yeah, I did that once. But it ushered in to my life the worst season ever. That, uh, And I'm, maybe you're still in the middle of that. Well, there was all these things. And I thought if we did this, then this would happen, and this would happen, this would happen. And God is saying what he would say to Job. He said, yeah, you're not done. You're not through the process. At the end of Job's dealings, God wasn't there to punish Job. He was trying to remove from Job the fear in his life that kept the greater from coming. So he was trying to say to him, listen, let me remove him. I'm dealing with those things in your life that are rooted in fear and negativity and unbelief. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, just press past them. Just press past them. You know, whenever, whenever you actually go up against an enemy, when you actually start to go past the lines that you'd never gone past before, there's warfare. And some, most people will actually, whoa, if I get back here, there's less warfare. Whoa, if I go over here, there's warfare. So I think God is saying to me, stay here. No, God is trying to introduce you to the things that that warfare cannot overcome by diminishing something in you through the warfare. The warfare that God allows in our lives can't hurt us, can't defeat us. Even if you die, you're not defeated. Oh, that's a hard one. But what if I lose this? What if I lose that? 
He said, and this is the attitude of Paul. There's nothing worth more than him. What drives the generation of Jacob that will seek his face like no other generation is the realization there's nothing more valuable than the knowledge of God. This is what Paul had. He said, he said I will suffer anything for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things, and consider them as dung. Once I'd seen the glory of the righteous Christ, once I've seen the, the immeasurable greatness of the wisdom of God, it was worth every price. There's something about this in the preaching of the gospel that we've missed, that we haven't talked about. But he said, it's better to go with one eye or lose a limb or lose this in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is he just talking about getting into heaven? Well, he may be talking about getting into heaven, but I believe there's a lot more. There is a revelation of the immeasurable, impossible greatness of the glory of God, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Him, to know Him. This is eternal life. Some of us have been saved into an idea that, oh, I just got to go to heaven. He says, no. He says, he- heaven is, might be a destination, but eternal life is the knowledge of me. If you want eternal life, what you need is the knowledge of me. That's the, that's the treasure. Your life has been given to you as a, a set time to pursue that treasure, to get as much as you can, as much as you possibly can before that life ends. So, Father, we pray that we could be a part of a generation because it's coming. There is coming a group of young people, a generation, who are going to awaken to the fact that there is nothing more valuable than the knowledge of God. They're living, breathing passion every day. Their continuous thought, even as they're working their jobs as carpenters or plumbers or whatever they're doing, they're just itching for more of God. They're hungering. There's, that thing inside of them is groaning, groaning, groaning. They understand, according to Romans 8, that there is a habitation that God wants to bring to the earth. There is, there's something inside of the, no, there's, there's, there's a glory, there is a desire, there's a manifestation of God that's meant to come, and I want to have it. I want to be part of it. God, open up that well inside of us. In your spirit, there is an insatiable hunger that can't be capped. It's not an emotional catharsis. It's not a, an external measurement of maturity. It is an, an impassioned desire for more and more and more and more and more of God. And if you today are feeling satisfied in how much of God that you have, that you have been seeking Him with something other than that thing, because inside your spirit God gave you a desire that cannot be satisfied except by more of him. And when you get some of him, you quickly get back to the place where you want more of him, more of him, more of him, more of him. And when the people arise in the earth who are guided by this desire, God will begin to pour out more of himself and more of himself and then again more of himself. And just when we think there cannot be more than that, he's going to pour out more of himself and then more and then more still and yet again, more again, more than we've ever imagined until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, until the earth resembles heaven itself. It says, we are praying your kingdom come on earth as it is heaven. That means the measure of the presence of God that is in heaven. That's what we want. Can your mind even encapsulate that? Can you actually apprehend that? Can your emotions reach out to God continuously until you have that? You don't have it in your soul. You don't have it in your mind, but your spirit has that capacity. So God, raise up a spirit, people. Uh, There's something in your spirit you haven't discovered yet. We want to hunger for God. We want to seek God. We want to we want to long for more of God. We want to say, God, deal with these things in my life that make me feel satisfied. These perceived plateaus that make me feel like I've accomplished it. That's it. We're done. It's winding it down from here. God, change my vision. Higher, 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 higher. 
And I'm saying to you who are older, your kids are grown up, and you, you've, you've accomplished some of the financial goals of your life, I'm saying to you, this is not the end. This is barely even the beginning. Oh, God. Oh, God. Lord, let this passion that was in the early disciples, that was in Paul, God, we want, let us be gripped by this. How can you infect us with this impassioned desire to seek you? To seek you. God, so it's not a sacrifice to leave off, you know, a couple of days with food. It's not a sacrifice to not watch our favorite shows. But, Lord, it's, it's the least we can do because we, 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 we require you. We need you. We desire you so bad. And even now, I feel like God is moving the lines. He's moving the limits. He's moving the goalposts. He's moving the goalposts for your life. God, move the goalposts. Move what it is we're aiming at. As you're, as you're continuing to press in, I'm going in August to speak at a camp. It's called a fire camp in, in the Netherlands. And the church that I'm going to meet with, they meet in the morning on Sundays from the morning till about midnight and 1 a.m. They actually are together worshiping God and seeking God all day. And I was, I was stunned. And he said, yeah. He said, God has been doing something in our midst. And people, you know, they, they had jobs the next day and they started leaving at 10 o'clock. And, and all of a sudden at 10, 15, suddenly the glory of God entered the room. So the weeks after they said, well, we'll stay till 1030. And then at, when they left at 1030, that thing hit at 1045. And, and it kept going later and later. And it wasn't that God didn't want to give them. But what he's trying to do is purify our motives. God, we must have you. What if, what if we could be consumed? What if we could be consumed by pursuing God? What if all day, every day, people could be coming? You know, in times of revival, people come and seek God. Businessmen at their lunch hours, they just couldn't wait. They drove as fast as they could to the, to the churches or these prayer meetings to begin to call out to God and seek God. Every waking moment that they had was given to pursuing God and the presence of God started falling on towns and started falling on these meetings and it would trickle out of the rooms and people who didn't know God would suddenly be aware that, oh, God could be found. Oh, God, how much more of you can be found? How much more of you is available? What would you pour out? What would you give a people who would not be satisfied with the status quo? Who truly, Lord, weren't just trying to fulfill an empty criteria, but Lord, who really wanted you and nothing but you. Oh God, we weren't here to please men. We weren't here to fulfill a quota. We just... We believe, we believe that there's more of you. We believe that there's something you want to do in this generation to change this nation. Now, often when we get to these places, if we feel like, oh, man, this is, this is way beyond me. I'm, I'm struggling with just doing the basic things I'm doing now. Just say that. Thank God, I, 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 I don't even know how to want more of you. I don't can you and this is what he can do. He can change your heart. He can change your capacity to seek him. This too comes from him. So we're saying, God, look upon our circumstance, look upon our limitations. And like you did to Saul, you turn him into another man. Lord, turn us oh, into other people. Change our capacity. Change the definition of what it means to seek. Change, change the, the di- defining limits of what it means to, to be finished, to be, to be done. God, how can we seek you during the day? How can we, what is that thing to long for you? While we're, while we're reading the paper, while we're having breakfast, that deep within us, deep within us, there's something in your spirit that can start to come up and consume more of your life. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I confess I, there is more. Lord, I know there's more. Help me. Help me believe. Help me see. So here's what I've decided. Even, even with respect to this group that I'm going to speak to in the Netherlands, 
I'm saying, okay, God, they have something. I want it. I'm, I'm, I don't need to be the man in the room that has more than everybody else. I want to be around those who have more. I want to be around those who have more. What has actually, to this point, freed me from what I have is the fact that I was willing to see that somebody else had more, and I got around them. And I'm actually trying to do that more and more. There are young ministries coming up today. There are people coming up today that have more. And I don't want to, I don't want to lock down what I have. I want more. We can all do that. So, Father, in Jesus' name, make this a church without limits, without boundaries, without walls. God, with always expanding, that there's no measure of completion there's no, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. There's no lines. We're not looking for when this, if this, no. Lord, oh, Lord, set a new paradigm in this house for endless. Set a new paradigm in this place, in this building for endless. God, we have, we have heard the call and we have imagined what it is and we have drawn our vision accordingly based on our, our greatest, highest things we can imagine. We've, drew, we've, we've drawn the lines. We're saying no more lines. 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 And here's what it means. Here's what it means. It's not saying, okay, oh, I guess I really want to watch that TV show, but I won't. It's, no, my desires change. That thing's not doing it for me anymore. This is the only thing that cuts it. That's what it means. It's not, oh, I guess I'm going to go to church again. That's not it. Change my appetite. Change my appetite. That's what we're asking for. Lord, change my desires. I delight to do your will, Jesus said. Well, I haven't delighted to do his will. I've delighted to do everything else. And what if he could change me? He's not saying don't do those things, but what if I could give you a delight to do this thing more than anything else? Okay, I want that. That's what I want. Religion says you can't do this. Delight says I'll give you more delight for the thing that I want you to want. Does that make sense? That's what we're asking for. Lord, when I first got saved, when God said to me, quit smoking drugs, you know what I said to him? Yeah, but I love this. And he he said, I am giving you right now a love for me more than the love for that. And it just shifted it immediately. What do you love? Put it before him. Because the point is, he's going to say, which one do you love this? He said, but I can't, Lord. He doesn't want you to be dishonest. He wants you to, he wants you to ask him to come into that and change your love. Then you delight to do his will. Not, you're, you're not resenting. You know, you better reward me because I, I gave up soccer for this. I gave up basketball for this. I gave up TV for this. You better, you better. So I delight to do your will. You, this is my reward, doing what's right. I am rewarded by this. I love to love you. I love to pursue you. I love to cry out to you. I'm not sacrificing. So, Father, we say, do this in our lives. God, we give you this, this life. We give you. We, we prayed it. We sung it. Lord, I give you my heart. But maybe we didn't know what that meant, Lord. We, we're saying change. We don't want to begrudgingly serve you. And, Lord, you actually hate that. We, we, you want to give us an infinite, consuming desire for you. Lord, that's what we're reaching out for. So we're not feeling shame. We're not disappointed in ourselves. We're, we're saying, God, change me. That's it. Oh, we present ourselves as candidates today for change. And everybody said amen. Hallelujah.